So the, the theme, well, the starting point of today's Hello You podcast, and Hello You, by the way, Hello You, um, is shiny objects or shiny object syndrome. And Neil was just excitedly showing me his orange monster um, medicine, medicine pouch. pouch. Yes. That's it. I didn't really want to call it a drugs pouch. That's no, a bit wrong. No, it's a, that, that's, that's a whole different podcast, <laughs> I fear, <laughs> from another country, <laughs> possibly. Possibly, yeah. Yes. They would let us bring that into small oh, batch yeah. and wear it. Well, no. Even though it is quite cool and we do love it in here. We uh, do love it in here, but rightly, they wouldn't stand for any weird drugs. Shenanigans. 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 Yes. So, yes. Yes. Well, so I'm having, having injected an appropriate amount of polarity <laughs> into all this. In a purely visual medium, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> um, which actually brings us to the first link in the show notes. Which, yes. which, was, which we decided was a really good jumping off point for the things that we've been talking about and getting irate about um, as, as we tend to do, which was a link that you found and you shared with me, wasn't it, Neil? And yes. It was a political distraction one. Yes, that's right. Back from um, oh, 2015, there was a piece in uh, New York Times, I think it was, talking about um, politicians and others, admittedly, kind of throwing something out to divert attention from what they're actually really saying and it kind of it seems terribly current at the moment I think in yes. in media um, but in and also I mean, in, in the discipline we, we kind of both love the kind of creative industries and marketing and so on um, there is that bright shiny object syndrome that everyone blocks to and then forgets stuff and we've covered this in one way in one of our earlier podcasts haven't we when we're talking about words Yes. Know, those hated terms that <laughs> become the shiny objects that you just flash around and everyone's supposed to paint in their presence <laughs> Or something, yes. not that I'm bitter. No, not, um, not at all. Innovative millennial, you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't start that. Don't start that. Um, but yes, yeah, shiny, shiny objects and, and distracting distracting attention from something perhaps entirely more sinister. Yeah, exactly. And, that, and whether, it's, whether it's done deliberately in some cases is, is not always clear, or whether sometimes it's kind of done um, accidentally by sheer... Well, by, by sheer accident, by sheer ineptitude, in some cases. I mean, one. I think one good example that we were talking about very briefly was um, Joe uh, Joe Moore. Um, in fact, she was government comms advisor back in 2001, and actually the day this is a terrible example, but the day of um, 9/11, the day the towers were falling, she committed to committed to email the immortal words, "A good day to bury bad news." Wow. And it's that, and it's slightly off the side of bright shiny object syndrome, but it was, it's definitely in that area of something's going on that can distract mm. from what's happening. And of course, that then took over that that picked up a whole life of its own. But I thought one of some of the beautiful things you found, Louise. I say beautiful. I'm talking. I'm talking Donald Trump. I don't know about, <clears> I don't know if beautiful is the right word um, there. But the whole kafifi, kafifi, how the hell you pronounce whatever that whatever was. Whatever that was, yeah. And that's one that got lodged in my brain back earlier this year and I I didn't know why I disliked it so much at the time but I can remember thinking my other half got quite caught up in it as well and you know I really didn't like the kind of the outpouring and the rush to pour scorn on Trump for this thing I, I do understand it but I didn't you know I do understand it. it's kind of almost like a release of tension alright <coughs> Lillian I just die quietly, excuse me. <coughs> the magic of editing. Indeed, indeed. Um, 
Yeah, so I do. Under, I did understand the desire and the rush to pour scorn on Trump, and it's a massive release of tension. And there's so much anger around what, you know, what his behaviour, what he's been doing. But I kept thinking, don't give him airtime. Don't give him more airtime. Don't do that. And like, but I couldn't properly understand my, you know, my frustration about it. I had a really heavy judgment around okay. people who were getting, including my poor, long-suffering other half, um, <laughs> about it. Which I mostly kept to myself. Um, and then I later started reading, you know, started coming out with people saying, oh, well, this is what was going on while you were busy with Cafe Fay. Yeah. And, and so you started to pose the question, was it purposeful on Trump's part to distract? Or is he just a moron? <laughs> Which, honestly, <laughs> kind of jury's out on that. Yeah, exactly. But then the thing that got me thinking about this as the topic for our podcast was when I started reading something entirely, you know, even considerably more sinister than that, potentially. And that was, I was looking at Twitter, and I started reading, so this was back in, at the end of July, and it was when the whole thing with um, Scaramucci in the White House was yep. totally kicking yep. off. And it was this kind of massive, you know, looking back, it was like this massive pantomime of stuff happening. That, you know, my first reaction was, how is this happening? in the White House, in the yeah. administration yeah. of the American government. How is this happening? Um, and then there were there were a few threads on Twitter which were sharing the show notes, one in particular, yeah. and, it, and it chilled me to the bone, and it started off with, oh, yeah, while you're all getting distracted by Scaramucci, um, this, you know, follow the money, this is what's going on with the Russians. And it was, I think it was on the 25th or the 26th of July, um, there was testimony to the. Um, there was a testimony about Russia, about business involvement linked with yes. Russia, no, and there was, a, there was a big thing going on. Yeah, people have died in the course of investigating this and trying to bring it to light. Yeah. And it was well, the testimony was actually to the Senate Judiciary Committee. I had to look it up to make sure the words in the right order. The Senate Judiciary Committee, um, and there's again a link in the show notes. Now, I, I don't actually want to dwell on the gruesome details of what happened, but there was money changing hands, protecting corruption in Putin's Russia, yep. and you know, an awful lot of money ending up in particular hands, and an awful lot of effort going to protecting that money, being able to stay with those people, yes. and you know not cracking down on corruption. And you know, and there's a, a businessman, an American businessman, who was testifying and he'd had some fairly grim and horrific things come across his path and including someone that he knew eventually dying in you know in a prison somewhere. Uh, yeah, I remember the story. So, I'm like, in you know, full disclosure, I haven't fully investigated all of the veracity of, of you know, the reports I've read <laughs> on this there a long as time, we're talking like, about yeah, media yeah. and whether we trust the media or not and getting distracted by shiny shiny <laughs> objects. You know, might argue this one has pushed my buttons but it, it made me think one thing you know is it intentional or not to distract the attention away from you know where the money's actually going yeah. and what people are doing that's far worse than appointing some other buffoon to be head of comms at the White House yeah um, creating, it's creating a different story yeah there's a bit of a smokescreen and it was that whole Kafifi thing was it was just bizarre and that it, was just bizarre I think it caught I kind of looked at it and thought well it it seems to have caught a bit of a zeitgeist. Everyone was on a bit of a Trump bash because 
personal opinion, the man's an idiot. Um, just purely personal opinion there. Um, but it was kind of the thing to do. It was kind of funny because it was so completely weird and mm. random. Um, and it did it did seem to take over the world's media. I'm pretty sure most of like, the UK broadsheets carried something on it, actually in print, like launched in the online version. Um, and it did then distract from other stuff that was going on. And I think partly because partly because people just don't have I want to say the brain space, that sounds rude. The attention span or the attentionability, let's say. To go to jump from Kafifi to the whole Russian thing to other stuff that's going on. Because media's becoming stackable. You want kind of quick quick hits of information. Quick, yeah. And it's kind of there's a whole kind of fragmentation thing going on in the media, but it's a kind of it's very much a um, I look at it, it's very much a fragmentation issue there. It's easier to sort of dive into something light, something funny, and then move on. So you mean like kind of fragmented media, but also fragmented attention. I've yeah. only got a couple of minutes and yeah. you know I mean like, when I say so my experience with this is I've only got a couple of minutes, I want to know that I've got something useful or, or I've got I've reached a conclusion about something yes. in that time. I do I want to spend a couple of minutes starting to investigate whether something's worth my time or not? Probably not. It doesn't always feel very valuable. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I don't know, the whole Kafifi thing, it just seemed it seemed well timed. Suspiciously well timed, perhaps. Yeah. If my kind of if I let my paranoia come out. Um, my X Files watching paranoid side. Um all the X-Files. Oh, the X-Files. I did love the X-Files, I'd by the way. Just to get a bit, of a, a bit of a, a shiny X-Files in there. <laughs> it's coming back. I, think. I, I know. I know. It's very exciting. It's amazing. Um, back on track. Um, and Gillian Anderson is fantastic, by the way. Yes. yes she's, she's fantastic. She's follow her on Twitter as well. Okay. I can currently follow her, but I'll yeah, check her out. But I think it was, yeah, so it's kind of suspiciously well-timed. And with everything else that's going on, it just added to the greater pantomime of yeah. stuff. And it's, it's difficult, because you then get the different tribes on social media who've got different political leanings and who don't talk to each other anyway even though they apparently try and they just research is kind of showing that everyone's just so polarised kind of one is bashing him the other's trying to support him and in the middle there's a sort of a gap of of information that unless you've got all day to dive through all the different streams or check out all the different medias you don't necessarily know what's true or not no this is it you don't know what's true or not and I think one of the things that I was thinking about as I was reading up on this and, and thinking about what this means for, for my life and my, my inherent distrust of really kind of snap decisions about things um, is that one of the one of the amplifying the amplifying aspect of social media in that something you know if enough people get hold of it or if it's if it's fed to the right people in the right way even mm. or even if you know a load of Twitter bots get involved suddenly one you know one person's view or what started off as one person's view can be everywhere yes and, and you kind of hear it from multiple sources mm. and that gives it credibility yeah definitely but, but that credibility doesn't necessarily come from it being accurate or right it might just be <laughs> that it's you know so happened that lots of people wanted to bash Trump yeah Understandably, yeah. and so you know, we all, we all, you know, I do it too. I did it too. We all jump on it yeah. to, you know, release some tension, to criticise the man, to feel a little bit of moral superiority or whatever it might be. And I think that was the thing that bugged me about cool. Fei Fei was the sense, me, sense of moral. We've just been offered cake, so oh, <laughs> or something. Should come in more often. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, that sense of moral superiority thing, which I I just have experience in that clouding my judgment and clouding other people's judgment so many times. I think I'm, mm. you know, I'm kind of keyed up to be distrustful of it. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. I think a healthy dose of cynicism and scepticism is probably. Um, probably useful I mean it's interesting you mentioned social proof because that's one of the social proof is kind of is a good tenant within like sort of social marketing social um, behaviour change disciplines as well in that um, it's kind of social normalisation of new ideas whether it's kind of recycling or um, walking to work behaviours transport choices that sort of thing so you kind of set up social you set up social norms of what other people are doing so people like to kind of go with the crowd um, and then more people sort of talk about it the more kind of social proof you, you kind of get around it um, Brexit was a really interesting one. The social proof was it's going to be tight, but it's not going to happen. And it seemed that everyone, apart from the real hardline Brexiteers, even kind of soft people in the middle who was like, oh, we're going to vote to annoy, annoy the government, um, the social proof was it would be okay, which kind of distracted a lot, in my view, from um, actually what was going on underneath, which was lies and distrust and so on. Um, I mean, I've got, I mean, just quickly sort of dive in, I've, I've got, oh, carry on diving in, in fact. Um, one social proof thing I got involved with years ago, about four years ago, was um, a horrible thing on Twitter called Larry Shippers. And it was this really weird, it was a really strange day. Um, it followed a documentary coming out that criticised a particular subset of One Direction fans. There is a, there is a link here, I promise. Louise is looking thoroughly sceptical. Um, but it's, this subset of One Direction fans, for some reason, decided that Liam and Harry were in a relationship together. Most, of, most of the girls are heavily, yeah, kind of the, the population of the subset was, was mostly female, uh, mostly a certain age group. Various reasons I won't go into, but they, they, their fantasy, if you will, was that the two boys were in a, a same-sex relationship. Documentary came out and it kind of criticised them. It didn't put them in a brilliant light um, because they were very ardent in their beliefs and very ardent in expression of their beliefs to the point of. I think the documentary was saying actually there, there may be mental health issues involved here. Um, yeah, it all, the, I didn't see the documentary, but I kind of followed the, some of the chatter about it. It was kind of getting quite dark. Anyway, long story short, next day, Larry Shippers is trending on Twitter. So I'm thinking, okay, well, yeah. as, it, as it does, what, what's going on here? And the first thing I see is um, a Twitter image. Back time, just, I think Twitter image has probably just relatively recently been released. Um, seven, Heaven has got seven more angels. Okay. Uh, okay. Right. Why? So there's a quick bit of checking back. Apparently Larry Shippers, okay, this is strange. All One Direction is still alive. It's not some kind of yeah. tour bus crash. And the narrative is that seven young girls have taken their lives because they've been the documentary has painted them in this slightly unwell oh, light. And I was like, oh this isn't good. So I started having a I started having a dig and thought this is a bit weird. Half an hour later it was fourteen. Then it was 21, oh, then it was 28, okay. and it was going up in multiples of... There must be why it went up in multiples of seven quite quickly. The whole thing was hoax. For some reason, it was a repeat of something that had happened two years previously, but the social proof of it was that thousands of people across the world were believing that a number of young women had either had taken their lives or attempted to take their lives. Um, it all got very weird, it all got very dark. A group of us on Twitter somehow congregated... We were hunting. We were hunting people down and dispelling the myths as fast as as fast as they came up. We were going doing it, but we we tried to battle the social proof, and it was it was just it was one thing that really stuck in my mind. It was something that came from nowhere and just started running. 
Yeah. And the more people saw it, the more people retweeted it, the more people shared the images, the bigger the social proof got. And of course, because it's number one trend in the United Kingdom at one stage, and then I think almost globally at another stage, wow. everyone's going to buy into it and believe it. Yes. And so from yeah. something that... If everybody else is talking about it... It must be true. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, can come back to the fragmentation point that you made earlier a bit there. It doesn't have to be everybody else, it just has to be everyone else in your sphere yes. that's talking about it. Because if you literally can't access what the other tribe are saying, yeah. because none of them are in your group, and yeah, then yeah. you it's... don't get that wider view. Yeah, and I think that's and that's a really interesting point as well because we were talking before about um, kind of echo chambers. I think yeah. you shared some you shared some really good research about echo chambers. Um, there's a lot of discussion on social media about how can people do end up in their own tribes and then use the same language culturally. Again, people goths. Let's say poor goths. Always big on goths. The easiest ones to go easy to explain. They kind of they're in their own little echo chamber and then they dress a certain way and speak a certain way, etc. That's just magnified at scale and speed through through social. Um, where I think it gets a problem is when the mainstream press fall for it. So pretty much all the mainstream press that I can think of, certainly UK-based ones, at some point have all fallen for a social proof. Yeah. Scam. Not a scam, that sounds horrible, but a social proof but thing. They've, they've been taken yeah. in by one, and they've then yeah. gone on and perpetuated that, and exactly. lent it their own credibility and legitimacy yeah. as, as national press. Yeah, and then that becomes really difficult then to start on picking yeah. and work out. And actually, if someone like The Guardian has to turn around, and I believe The Guardian had to do this, and turn around and say, oh, we're sorry we got it wrong... What does that do for trust yeah. in the media? Well, that's an interesting one. I would... Actually, I would trust an organisation more if it's able to stand up and say, oh, actually, I'm sorry, we got this wrong, yeah. and deal with it in a mature way. Yeah, yeah. Because I think, you know, the chances of individuals never making mistakes, and, you know, and individuals, individuals populate newspapers and press yeah. and, and anything in you know any organisation in the world chances of them never getting wrong are quite slim I think then I would start to think well how often are they getting it wrong yeah. and, and, and what happened about how it went wrong so I don't know how I don't know how unique to me that view is it's obviously I would think oh god the, I would also have to think oh god the Guardian got it wrong yeah. god what hope is there <laughs> uh, my very very middle class frightened kind of Guardian reading way um, and, and, and actually that's the point that I'm just going to make here while I think of it is that there was a point where I realised I was referencing a lot of sources from the Guardian while I was reading a I, did, I didn't like to say and I was thinking oh shit <laughs> okay, <train laughs> wasted okay, by my own retard <laughs> <laughs> it just it just goes it just goes to prove though that it's it's a very real thing. I mean something I mean, I was really struck, I think we were talking before about the whole echo chamber thing and when I was still when I was still in my previous job and walking to work with this lot of podcasts and I happened to be listening to one one morning by someone who I think is a Trump supporter. I had a really visceral physical reaction to this thing. I actually felt slightly ill. And as he was talking about it, I started putting two and two together and thought, my god, you are supporting this man, this Thing, who's potentially getting into the White House, and I actually it gave me. I wanted to run away from it. I mean, I'm I'm somewhat afraid of spiders. I had the same. I actually physically had the same reaction, and I forced myself. I had to force myself to the end of the podcast, and then listen to some music to make myself feel better. And it was a really weird thing. And I, and I was rational, post-rationalizing it, thinking I, I did a good thing. I stayed with it. I have to step outside my sphere because otherwise, how will I understand the bigger issue? But God, it, it was terrifying. Genuinely, actually, genuinely terrifying. 
it's some deep psychology at work though, isn't it? You know, and it, it's really easy for me to get judgmental, a bit like I did about Kafifi and saying, why are people giving it, you know, why is everyone jumping on this bandwagon? And, and I can be very judgmental, like, I don't feel the need to get but actually there's some very real and very deep psychology and emotional responses and you know and, and attempts to rationalise as well that are going on here that yeah. are that are entirely and fully human. Yeah. Me not liking it and spotting somebody else's blind spot on one occasion does not make them wrong and it certainly doesn't make the problem go away. I'm saying, well I can spot that. I can spot that maybe you're missing something. And yeah. On another on another occasion, it'll be me who's caught up in my own experience yeah. and, and my own feelings. About stuff. It's, it's how to, I suppose it's how to navigate that, and then how to bridge how to bridge the storylines in between the two. Yeah. Which certainly the American election failed to do, Brexit failed to do, and so on. But I, mean, I think one big thing, something we you and I both had loads of discussion about, is, is um, diversity in the press and the media. And there was um, a survey out from Reuters. We'll put the link in the show notes, but it was talking about. I think he's talking specifically, if memory serves, about gender equality in the UK press. I think. I think it was, was a bit more, more than that. Was more it general was kind of the, the environment in the UK press and UK journalism. It's a, re- it's a really interesting and very readable as well. Yes. It's not pages and pages of really dull, dry <laughs> stuff. It's very readable. Yeah. Um, but I think it, what stuck with me there was about... I remember the, the piece about gender diversity mm. and how... Apparently, at the entry level to UK press, printed, I think specifically talking printed press, gender splits about equal on entries, but women never seem to make it to senior management positions, or almost never. So you don't get a, a necessarily an alternate perspective. So if you get I mean, that traditional sort of, I suppose, in my head, newsroom view of kind of white, middle-aged and male, if you have no one with other life experience coming in and saying, Hold on, but just look at this from another way. I mean, he was also talking about, I think, our ethnic diversity as well, how how hugely underrepresented. Yeah, and that was the, the thing that I picked is. up on it, hugely under, you know, yeah, ethnic minorities hugely underrepresented. And I think that's a real, real problem because it's not. Everyone will look at the world differently with different lenses, but actually, if you get a group who have. Has a bad reference Trump again. I'm going to have to do it. I'm so sorry. The Trump's cabinet. Yes. All of a certain age, all of a certain wealth bracket, all of a certain background. Yeah. They're probably going to have similar views and visions. And actually, where's the dissent coming from? Structured dissent is a good thing. It comes to one of our favourite topics: cognitive bias. Oh God, yes. It's much more difficult to challenge your cognitive bias if you're surrounded by people who have, who are likely to have similar. You know, moulded in similar ways and have the same bias. Or even, you may not even see it. Yeah. You're inside exactly. the fishbowl. You're inside the, and we're back in fishbowls again. <laughs> Poor fish. <laughs> spend, spend this podcast peering out of the fishbowl. There's <laughs> um, probably a link in there with attention spans <laughs> and God, no God else. <laughs> I hadn't even got to the attention span. The, the thing that keeps bubbling up for me in our conversation is a need to kind of somehow lift lift your view up and take a wider ranging view or take a step back and have a longer you know perhaps looking further through time to look at the links between well to become aware that there are views outside of your own fishbowl yes and to look at the links and to look for the patterns no I agree and that makes me think of slow journalism. Yes. And, um, and I'm going to have to put in a plug for delayed gratification yes, because yes. I, I attended one of their infographic evening courses and Ooh. it was fantastic. And nice. also, in terms of what they're trying to do, I think you know, they may well not have it perfect, but 
they're trying to do something very different they're reporting on the news you know a good three to six months after it happened so they're taking a longer range view and and that yeah there's I really like the idea of not always needing snap conclusion and a right let's get there first with the shiniest biggest most interesting thing that's gonna yeah it's gonna get the most attention yeah. and in five minutes yeah no I agree and I think for me the slow journalism movement's a really interesting one because they the line in my head is slow journalism is what do I know mainstream traditional journalism day to day journalism is, is what do I do so actually oh, explain that one a bit so, well for me it's if I see a kafifi or I see news of a, a hurricane or some political snafu in, that's headlining the BBC it's headlining the, the press my instant question is what do I need to do about this it almost triggers fight or flight yeah. not, necessarily, not necessarily in all, in all cases but it is that kind but of that completely makes sense that fight or flight thing because I think that happens you know we're human beings it, mm. it is a very hardwired response to, yeah. to stressful things yeah and I think you're right and I think that the question for me then is always is what, is what do I do do I share it is it worth sharing do I share it what do I say mm. or do I forget about it and move on of course if I if I share it I'm probably going to forget about it and move on unless it's something that's really personally kind of resonant for whatever reason um, with slow journalism because like you say it takes that three, six long, or longer month frame on things actually you can dig around the issues you move away from the immediacy of tragedy or the immediacy of, of joy or whatever it might be and can actually take a, a wider perspective on things fast journalism has to be this is the fact bang move on to the next one yeah. I think long term stuff you can look at the kind of an ecosystem of, of facts of, of truths and actually come up come up with more of a network a kind of a network of interlinking pieces that you just can't necessarily do on the fly yeah. do you I'm thinking about this as you're talking do you think that fast journalism necessarily has to pull on the emotional strings more or is driven by you know hmm. strong fast strong emotional reactions I think so it kind of makes sense to me and I'm yeah. actually I'm struggling a bit with this because I'm very much in favour of connecting with how one feels and and you know and kind of expressing emotion and, and connecting with that and I'm, I'm just thinking well no maybe maybe it's not such a good thing in terms of the news and I, I suppose then the next thing I go to is in kind of mindfulness in terms of mindfulness training it's not about feeling an, an emotion and then responding and then taking action yes yeah, it's yeah. about it's about feeling you know we feel stuff we're human it's about taking a moment to sit with that and then considering action and making choices about action instead of feeling pushed into action yes. by the strength of a feeling yeah so it's, it's alright I've managed to protect my, my feeling <laughs> about the importance of being human and having emotions I think it's, it's true I think if you've got Again, like with the media and, and talking kind of social media and, and bright shiny objects and social proof and all of that, you read an article on whatever outlet it may be, whichever version of the media you're subscribing to at the time, and there's nearly always a share this button at the bottom. So you get to the bottom and you are enraged or you are saddened or you think something's funny or you just want to have your moment of, oh, I'm joining a, com- a global conversation. Yeah. The button's there, it's straight ahead of you, it's easy. Um, 
not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I think it's it's how the, the press and how the certainly the online media space then draws other people in. So you may tweet something, like, oh, that's interesting, I'll click into that. Oh, and I end up in a BuzzFeed discussion, or I end up on a sort of subreddit, or end up on somewhere other. Oh, there's advertising, and there's things, and there's stuff that flashing up on the screen. It's it's how it it's how it works, and I, I think that emotional. I think that emotional resonance is where social media picks up a lot of its um, a lot of its speed, a lot of its pace, and then turns into the maelstrom of kind of the trending topics and the social proof from there. Why why would you share something if you don't connect with it? Yeah. For example? Yeah. Um, and it, it's not like this is a new phenomenon. It's not like no. people becoming enraged or outraged <laughs> or being really upset by something and then wanting to share it or immediately take action or immediately bash somebody else. It's not like that's a new thing for human beings, is it? No. no. I guess it is the scale and the speed of it. Yeah. Is the is the new thing or is the different thing? Yeah. And I think it's. I really like when we're talking about kind of the mindfulness and having having the ability to take that breath. It's certainly something I've. Some, certainly something I've tried to cultivate um, is around that do I need to share this actually what do I say what's the what is the value of the contribution yeah. oh, I get it wrong most of the time I admit but occasionally it, it kind of comes out right there are a few things I haven't shared for example I've read and thought actually no I can't I don't have a voice within this debate I've, there's no point in me sharing it there's nothing like it's constructive I can add um, but it takes that extra that extra minute or so. Um, I mean, I read a really good thing recently um, about kind of when you share stuff and then obviously people like it or retweet it or whatever, you get hits of dopamine. And then it's, there's that kind of brain drug effect. So it sounds all, all bit scary. But yeah, you, you share, I don't know, share a picture on Instagram and people... I, like the first time, first time I shared something on Instagram, about five people liked it within two minutes. It's like, I'm famous! And it, it's exciting, and it was, isn't yeah. it? And, and, we, and we're wired up for it. And the, the therapy way of looking at this, or you know, one, of, one of the schools of therapy way of looking at this, is that these are positive strengths. The, the, dop- the dopamine hit. It's a positive strength. Okay. We all need positive strengths and you know, small units of um, social validation because yes. we are social creatures. Um, so it's not that it's inherently bad, but it, I think it's, it's really useful to be able to take a step back and talk about, reflect on why we're driven to that and, and you know, why we're driven to seek out more likes on yeah. our Instagram posts or, you know, people sharing and agreeing with what we say. Yeah. There is a reason for it. It makes us feel good. Yeah, and I think you make a really good point about that kind of human society, human community, wanting to feel part of something. And again, I'm just, I'm dragged back in my head to a picture, and I'm fairly sure it's on one of the, one of the links, the show note links about um, social, uh, social media polarisation within, I think it's Australian, possibly Australian politics. But it looks a bit like, from my, my recollection of it, I haven't looked at it for a couple of hours, so who knows, um, but my recollection of it is it's a bit like an hourglass on its side. It's tiny little piece of connection in between two really big, massive, multi-nodal connections yeah. that basically just don't talk to each other. Don't talk to each other, yeah, and it's, and it's, the, it's a paper that we'll share in the show notes, I remember, I remember, yeah, I remember sharing it with you. It's a really good visual representation, they're going to be exactly that, we, as human beings, evolution, evolutionarily, I'm going to claim that word if it doesn't exist. Um, but we tend to we've tended to stick with our tribes. We tend to stick with people like me, people like us, because generally genetic compatibility, etc. We all like to eat the same plant or jaguar or whatever we're eating at the time. 
it, it's safety. It's got and safety. Want not to form a kind of bond. Yeah. You want to form a bond with others and feel part of a mm. tribe. Oh, exactly. There's very strong evolutionary in, in, yeah. evolutionary reasons for that. Definitely, and I think this is it's a really interesting point. I think in terms of mission earlier about like media fragmentation and so yes. on, and actually one of the topics we keep going back to wherever we are. I think it's kind of what is what actually what is the media? So we have traditional media that's been around since someone invented writing and clay tablets. We have got new uh, media forms, our social media. Um, we have ones that are kind of developing currently now things like television and radio came in before social media exactly Um, and I think it's the the barrier to entry now is so low that anyone can essentially become publishers and we're this is it this is we we are the media don't hate us don't hate us nice people Um, but but you could technically say that we are the media if we turn this into a political podcast for whatever reason um, we could gain a band of followers who completely agree with whatever we we want I mean you sort of see cable access or public access TV in America Um, that sort of thing it was done actually quite well on Twin Peaks recently Um, and you can become your own publisher you can become your own broadcaster and if you have if your views are not those of the mainstream actually it doesn't matter anymore you can still find your voice and that's great for on one hand it's absolutely brilliant I think it's absolutely brilliant for a free exchange of ideas on the other hand it's quite terrifying because the neo-Nazis can talk to each other well it, it is quite terrifying yes and actually you reminded me of I um, you reminded me of the thing and I mentioned it before about um, Henry Ford setting up his own and you said oh he was doing content marketing oh yes he, of course so this, this is I, um, I was listening to an audio book of um, David Zoranovich's book Voodoo Histories um, and I saw him speak at Lewis Skeptics in the pub event it was fantastic um, and anyway so I listened to it and one of the things we were talking about we were talking about rising anti-Semitism oh, okay. and um, Henry Ford started publishing a newspaper that was um, shared viral with the Ford dealerships across America wow. and it was basically you know, a way for him to share his views of the world so you know alright the bar wasn't um, it wasn't low enough so that I could I could get on the back at that point but he had money and, and he could do that and his network was his dealerships so he started publishing and sharing this newspaper where, and he always had a column and it was mostly anti-Semitism crazy it's incredible isn't it yeah and, and, and chilling. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's. And I mean, yeah, that they, uh, makes me think of scenes, the sort of the seventies, eighties music scenes, and even the kind of political kind of the pamphlets are being printed on on those kind of weird roller photocopies. I've got no idea how they actually work, um, but people were doing stuff in their back bedroom and creating something which then kind of went out. And now it's even cheaper. I mean, this podcast is take it takes our time. We decided to buy a domain name. We're hosting on SoundCloud on the free plan. Aside from the electricity, it's it's costing to to record and edit it. It's kind of free, and we we are making our own platform to put our views out into the world to hopefully gain people who like what we say and etc etc. But in terms of what is the media, then for me that raises the possibility that the media is everybody. might be a subject for another podcast <laughs> I'm struggling with kind of well is that okay and my long cherished belief that free speech is good and actually knowing what the undercurrent is and giving it voice and light and fresh air I say undercurrent that's already a judgement um, knowing what the minority views are giving yeah. them fresh, fresh air and a voice 
is a good thing and a valuable thing and then I'm thinking about some of the horrors that that might unleash and and we've seen it again with one of um, the uh, the Orange Gibbons people I can't remember what his name was I want to say Steve someone he ran a far right website I can't, can't remember what his name was and he was part of I, want, I wanted to say Steve Bannon it didn't quite feel right but yeah. it may well be Steve Bannon but yeah so he he ran whatever alt-right website it was and had his band of neo-Nazi Ku Klux Klan followers talking about whatever they wanted to talk about I mean in, yeah in one respect at least it brings <laughs> brings the crazy into the light as a big judgement from my perspective but I do not subscribe to his beliefs on the other side what an amazing opportunity for oppressed minorities or people who yeah. want to do something good for the world who can't get through to mainstream media for whatever reason it might be. Yeah. You can build they can you can build it for good or for bad. It's, it's not a fault of the medium, it's the fault of the user. Essentially, well, but it does yeah. but then it depends on where it where it goes from there. And you've got things like again, is Reddit the media? Is Vice the media? Buzzfeeds, etc. They have huge, absolutely huge clouds. They're quoted here, there, and everywhere. Um, they build shiny objects. They build social proof things. Them are they? Me- I don't know. Are they media in the term that we would refer to the broadsheets or traditional TV and radio stations as the media? Can I just share where I am with this at the moment? I feel feel frightened, physically frightened, considering the idea of. How you get, I, I can't even speak, I'm really struggling. The idea of everyone having a voice and what if what if people who don't have everyone's interests at heart. And, and I guess it's how, what I feel is happening with Trump in America. What, what, if, what if people, someone, people get into power who don't have everyone's interest at heart? What if, what if that becomes the norm? And, and actually what I want to do is run away and so I'm going to come back to our point about mindfulness earlier to, and you know your bravery in continuing to listen to that that podcast and that interview that, that say viscerally affected you to sit with feeling frightened and think about what choices I have around that rather than just thinking I don't want to think about that I'm going to go back to thinking about rabbits and cake <laughs> and my normal standbys for happy times but it is a it is, it is a fascinating one I think it is it is difficult. Media, I think, fades in and out of being a shiny new thing. The, the social media, shiny new things. The commentators on that. So I mean, now you can have a you can have a conversation with Christian Guru Murthy of Channel Four News or Jon Snow via media. They can give their commentary direct to your phone. Um, yes, it brings out. It does bring out challenging perspectives, and in some respects, I think they're they're good. I do feel very strongly, you know, my core belief is that challenge and disagreement is good, you know, is healthy and normal and better when it's surfaced. Yes. I, I do believe Bring it into that. The light. But the reality of actually facing it and dealing with it when it's extremely alien to my view and everything I hold to it is, is, that, is genuinely frightening. Yeah, I understand that completely. It's... It's, it's the plus and the minus, I suppose. I would imagine people... I would imagine people had this same conversation when the newspaper was invented yeah. or whatever, or people started printing books that weren't the Bible or the orthodoxy. Um, it's, it is, it's the message rather than the medium. I think the medium has just got faster. It's got faster and it's got cheaper. Um, 
etc. So, uh, yeah. Bigger, more global, yeah. more, more human beings in the world that we know. That's not true. Well, what, you can make a historical argument that population increased. What I'm trying to say is I have access to more different views, potentially. Yes, exactly. That's probably a good place to wrap up. I think, I think it is. Let alone more bright shiny before we throw more bright shiny objects in. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm deeply unsettled by the ending of this conversation. That's okay. Thank yes. you, Neil. Thank you. you think. I'd, love to, yeah, I'd love to know what other people's reactions are. Yes. As well. Yeah, what do you think? Are we media? Are oh, we media yeah. now? Blimey. Steady. Yeah. Yes. And, and not, you know, on the more serious emoji topics. Yeah. Actually, where, where do I'd be fascinated to know where the listeners stand? Yeah, where do you sit and, and disagree with us? Yeah, by all means, please. Let's do it. Or, or agree with us if you do. I mean, don't make up <laughs> but yeah. Tell us what you think. Indeed. Okay. What a Thank fascinating you, discussion. Thank you. Cheers. I enjoyed that. Again. Me too. <laughs>